Well, it's that time of year. Kids are going back to school. Life's changing. You got more free time at home since now they're at school. Wanted to uh, recognize one of our awesome uh, disciples. This is her last Sunday with us until she uh, comes back from school. But Colleen Lee is moving next Saturday up to UC Berkeley. Going to be a part of the ministry up there and go to school. But don't worry, I gave her some pastoral counseling. I said, do not become liberal in your thinking. You know, as preacher, you just got to give input like that sometimes. But uh, she's going to go up there and do great. Also excited to have Josh and Laura's son, Caleb, here with us. His first worship service over there. So it's great to have Caleb with us. You know, a lot going on. You know, I don't know how you're going to feel about this sermon. Just giving you a little prep. You know, the good news is we're only going to talk about one thing. You say, well, what's the one thing? It's the one thing that you most do not want to change. It's the one thing that you hope never gets addressed. It's the one thing that you hope doesn't get brought up if you're in a counseling appointment. You open the fellowship, nobody asks you a direct question. You say, well, what's the one thing? Well, it's different for you than it is for me. Now, it could be the same. But each of us have a one thing. You know, there's things that we have changed, grown in, become the person God wants us to be, been a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. And yet whether you're studying the Bible, come to church for the first time, or been a Christian for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, undoubtedly there's something in your heart, in your life and in your character that you just don't want to change. On Tuesday at staff meeting, Ron Quint taught a lesson at staff meeting. The beginning basically went something like, a brother came up in fellowship and said, I think you would benefit from a study of pride and humility. And he said, so that led me into a study of pride and humility. And I remember in staff meeting, feeling that, You know, we talked about it on Tuesday night with the men. We had a really awesome midweek time together. And I I know what my one thing is. It's, It's my pride. And it comes out in the greatest area with my wife. And I shared on Tuesday night about an interaction I had with my wife. Had a conversation with one of my kids and somewhere in there, My son had said, you know, and if this happens, I just don't know what to do. So I thought, well, then I'll give him some fatherly input because as men, that's what we do. We we fix problems, you know. So if somebody communicates a problem, then being a good man, I want to fix it because that way it eliminates the problem. Well, so I proceeded to give him a fatherly uh, speech, and at the end of it, 
He goes, Dad, you've told me that like a thousand times. And I was like, okay, well, you just said you didn't know what to do, so I thought I'd give you at least one or two things to try. And later I was recounting the story with Cheryl, and she said, you know, sometimes you give input when the kids just don't want to hear it, but it doesn't stop you from giving it anyway. And, uh, you know, I told the brothers on Tuesday night what my response was. It was not a good one. It was a prideful one. My response was, well, why don't you apply that right now? Because I didn't really want her input. I thought it fit. I thought, well, that's a great point. And it did not go well. And I know I get irritated with my wife more than any other person. And she knows me best. She knows what I need. And yet, you know, I can persist feeling that way without changing the thing I need to change most. So that's my one thing. Now, I don't know what your one thing is. But I just saw a movie, it's called Divergent. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's kind of interesting, the beginning. You know, they, they take all the people, and then they have this time of testing. And then through the testing, they classify you according to how you're wired. You know, and the test involves putting you through your greatest fears. You know what? Fear in those high-pressure situations have a way of reducing you to your core. And I thought, you know why... We like the beginning of that movie because we can all relate to that because we find ourselves thinking, what category would I have fit in? What, like, what's my go-to method? How would I have related? What's, what's my way of operating? You know, what, what faction, as they called it in the movie, you know, would I have been a part of? What's my heart classification? I can tell you this right now. God knows exactly what it is. Now, there's a tribe, there's a faction, there's a group that God wants every single one of us to be a part of. But oftentimes, the one thing that you most don't want to change in your life keeps us from joining it. You say, well, what's, what's the one tribe? It's the go-to God tribe. It's operating with Him, and it's going to Him, and through Him, and relying on Him. You know, oftentimes there's obstacles in our own life that stand in the way of that, that block that path. And God says, it's time to change. And we're going to spend the the rest of our sermon talking about Jacob. Go to Genesis 32. Jacob... Uh, probably familiar with him. He was a twin. His brother was Esau. Aaron preached a phenomenal sermon on appetites, talking about how Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. You know, Jacob, he was a conniving guy. He worked the system. He was a deceiver. 
And see, you know, what happens is once you work the system once, you know what you start thinking? Oh, this is, this is what I can accomplish. The rules don't apply because I get in a situation, I can work it. I can work my magic. I can, you know, I, I can make it happen. I, I know people and I can get what I want. And that was who Jacob was. And so he spent his life refining his expertise in working the system. Well, God starts by working on him. So he goes to work uh, for Laban, his uncle, to get his daughter's hand in marriage. And, you know, then all kinds of drama, wakes up on the wedding night and got the wrong sister. And so then has to work for another seven years to get the one he wants. And you already know family issue is going to be a real challenge. And it was for Jacob. But God was working on his heart. Well, finally, he's amassed a lot of wealth. And it's time for him to go out on his own. And Laban gets mad that he's leaving. And they have that interaction. Well, we pick it up in Genesis 32. And now Jacob's on his own. And in verse 1 it says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanai. Now, right about there, I mean, if you're Jacob, you're on your journey. You're spiritually minded. You're thinking about God. You're connected to his word. And the angels meet you. I mean, how are you feeling? I mean, that'd be an amazing quiet time. I mean, you know you're connected when the angels come and hang out with you. Like, yes, I'm I'm in a 10 out of 10. I'm connected. God and I, he's even sending his angels to hang out with me. I'm going to give this place a special name. You think, man, the rest of the story, Jacob should be such a giant. Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servants and maidservants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. He's a spiritual giant, right? I mean, he was connected with God. The angels are hanging out. He's living, you know, the dream, right? But he's going to meet his brother Esau, whom he hasn't seen since he stole his birthright and his blessing from their dad. You say, oh my goodness. Say, shouldn't he be confident? But what he hears is 400 men are with Esau. Verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. And the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, 
the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your own country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant, and only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid... He will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty female camels with their young Forty cows and ten bulls, and twenty female donkeys and ten male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead when my brother Esau meets you and asks, To whom do you belong? And where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. There are gifts sent to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who follow the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. But he himself spent the night in camp. There's such a contrast of a response here. Because on the one hand, the prayer he prays is exactly the prayer of somebody who's connected with God. Somebody who knows the promises of God. Somebody who knows God's will for their life. And so you think he's got it all down. I mean, he's like, God, you're the God of my father, the God of my grandfather, and you're the one that told me, go back, and I'm going to make you prosper, and I'm just not worthy of the kindness you've given me, and, you know, I'm afraid, but I claim this promise, and you told me to go back, and you're like, man, he's in touch. He knows the verses. He's heard the message, and after all, the angels in him just hung out. But great fear and distress would challenge every single one of us to the core. What did he do? Well, he prayed a great prayer and then went and reverted to the old way of doing things. I'll work the system. I mean, really, it doesn't, his behavior doesn't even make sense with the prayer he prayed, right? Okay, God, you told me, you know, go back because you're going to make me prosper. I know you're with me. I'm unworthy. Okay, now I've got to finagle the system. Okay, I'm going I'm to get all these gifts together. I'm going to divide them in little groups. And I'm going to send them on ahead and make sure you space yourself so that way he's got some time to absorb each step of my scheme. And the Bible says, 
in verse 21. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. You know, isn't that an interesting way of describing it? His gifts went on ahead of him. I've got a question for you. Remember, we're talking about what's the, what's the one thing that you most fight not changing? Here's the question. What do you send ahead of you? You know, verse 21 was about you and about your spiritual life and about your interactions. How would it read? Here's, here's some possible choices. Silence. I send silence. I ignore you. I avoid you. I won't talk. I won't respond. I shut down and give you the silent treatment. That's what I send. Maybe it's anger. I send anger on ahead. If I get afraid, I'm going to be loud and mad and build a high anger wall so you can't get to me. Maybe it's the substance. In great fear and distress, I will numb out so I don't feel a thing. Maybe it's ambivalence. What's the modern term for that? Whatever. Whatever. My feelings are hurt. You did this to me. Yeah, whatever. It's always something. Maybe it's cynicism. Been there. Done that. Tried that before. Didn't work. Same old, same old. Same old rat race. God didn't answer. The fellowship let me down. Not going to make an impact anyway. Maybe it's lies. We just lie. We send on deceit ahead of us. Somebody asks us, we deflect. We tell a lie. We go, no, I didn't directly lie. No, deceit is giving a false impression. If you're purposely vague, you lied. How about we buy something? I'm stressed, so I go and buy something. Makes me feel better. Just bought something. Maybe it's a, I make everyone happy. I get stressed. My new focus is making everyone happy and keep the world around me happy. And then I don't have to deal with reality because everyone's happy. Maybe it's pornography. Or lust. Fantasizing about another relationship. Or maybe it's a critical heart. You know, none of these are righteous response to life. And maybe I didn't name what your one thing is. But I promise you this, God knows exactly what the one thing is. And God knew what Jacob's one thing was. 
And God had great plans for Jacob. And God's promises were true. And Jacob knew the promises. He knew the word. He was even following through on what God told him to do. Go back to your country. Go back to your relatives. And I will prosper you. He knew the truth. He knew what was right. But when Esau is bringing 400 guys with him, he said, okay, plan B, which was really his plan A all the time. And his gifts went ahead of him. What's your M.O. when you're in great fear and distress? Do you trust God? You know, it's easy to tell by what our response is. Not during the 99% least stressful times, but by the 1% most stressful. It's like I was having a conversation with somebody and they go, I have no problem submitting to my husband unless I disagree. You know, it is not submission if you agree. That's just agreeing. It's not even submission unless you disagree. You know, oh, I have no problem getting along with this person unless they make me mad. Well, that's a real test. Well, the fact is, our, our Christianity, our core values are put to the test at our times of great fear and distress. Jacob's gifts went on ahead of me. What goes on ahead of you? Continue on, verse 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Now I want to just stop right there. What did it take for Jacob to be alone? His family was gone and his possessions were gone. They were on the other side. So he got them over and then he was left alone. Here's another question. When do you feel alone? You know, you can actually be by yourself and not feel alone. But the opposite is true. You can be around a lot of people and feel alone. And you know what I think? Loneliness hits you to your core value. Kind of like if you're not a fan of tofu, you don't walk into a buffet and if they don't have tofu, you go, oh, this is a lousy buffet. They don't have tofu. But if you're a fan of beef, you can, you can have an incredible harvest in front of you and go, eh, they don't have beef. You know, life's that way. Whatever matters most to you is where you're going to feel alone the most. And it's a good, you know, kind of barometer of where your heart is at. So the gifts go. The family goes. The possessions go. Everything that Jacob could want to take stock in and feel good about himself. And it says he was alone. In verse 24. And it says, and then here it comes. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. You say, what happened right here? 
God wanted his whole heart. And so it's no accident that God orchestrates this interaction with Esau. 400 men. Why 400? Because if Esau only brought four with him, it wouldn't have provoked the same heart response. God knows exactly what he's doing in your life. It's all about your heart and my heart. And so Jacob is left alone. And God said, let's get ready to rumble. Man, don't you wish you would have come up with that? You know, God looked at Jacob and he said, all right, now's the time. You and me. I got you where I want you and you and I are going to tangle. I wrestled one year in high school. I'd never wrestled in my life. You know, Iowa is famous for great wrestling programs. I did not grow up aspiring to wrestle. But when I was a freshman in high school, I knew uh, I might make the basketball team, but I would be the guy that got two minutes of playing for 40 points ahead. So I said, I'm not going to do that. So what's the best conditioning I could get? I said, I'm going out for the wrestling team. I weighed 115 pounds. Oh, yeah, it's a freshman. It was huge. <laughs> Never wrestled in my life. First practice, I was fifth on the depth charts in that category. I'm like, that's fine because the only reason I'm here is to get in good shape. I didn't even buy wrestling shoes. I bought basketball high tops. You know why? Because you got to run thousands of steps every day. Wrestling shoes got no padding in them. They're going to kill my feet. So I said, I'm going to run stairs in basketball high tops. I don't care if I'm the only guy in basketball shoes. My feet will be saved. Well, a couple weeks before the first meet, one guy moved up a weight class, one guy moved down a weight class, and one guy quit. So right before the first meet, I was JV. Which meant I had to wrestle in the meat. I was not a great wrestler. You know, most wrestlers lose weight. You know, you, you go down to make weight. I gained weight. So if you're into wrestling, you know, ooh, bad start. Um, actually won my first match. My lifetime wrestling record was, was four and eight. Um... I got pinned seven times. I counted lights in wrestling terms. You know, you're on your back counting lights in the gym. That's what that means. There was one match that my parents and Mike came to visit me. And we were wrestling a really, really good team. We were not that great of a wrestling team. This is one of the best in the state. And we lost every match, but, you know, out of like, Varsity and JV, I think there were 18 matches. We lost all but two. Turns out my match was one of the only ones that we won. And I was on my back counting lights the entire match. 
But my parents were there, and my twin brother was there. And I said, man, I, I, I can't get pinned. It's, I can't. The whole match, I was on my back. And with like 15 seconds left, the guy made a mistake, and I rolled him over and pinned him with like three seconds left in the match. You know what? And it was like, I don't know if it was God who said, here, this guy, make a mistake. I want Ron to win. He's going to be a preacher one day. <laughs> little little bonus wrestling right there. All I know is the only match that my parents and Mike saw, I won. And it's because I didn't give up. I had about five and a half minutes. I go, you know, it would be a whole lot easier to just give in. Well, Jacob and God go at it. And it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, verse 25, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob never got better from that interaction. He walked with the limp from then on. You know what was different about this interaction with Jacob? Is he was in great pain. And he never let go. You see, sometimes whatever that one thing is, you go, yeah, well, I've tried. I've gone to classes. I've gone to seminars. I've read books. I've prayed about it. I promise you this, if you have not been victorious, you reached a point where you said enough's enough and you let go. And until you say, I will not let go of God, you will not change. There will always be a breaking point. You say, well, run, when I... When I Hold on to God, and it hurts so bad. Yeah? Keep the grip. You know, I don't know how much it hurt to wrench your hip out of socket, but I'm going to guess it hurt a lot. But he didn't let go. I do not know what you're going through, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual. But God says you can keep hanging on. Where the angel's like, leave me alone. Let go. The sun's coming up. And he's like, uh-uh. 
because I don't have the victory yet. I will not let go until I get what I want. You know, what a difference in his character. You know, before Jacob would resort to his M.O., I'll work the system. You know, when it comes to God, there is no system. It's don't let go. You say, it hurts. Yeah, don't let go. I can't handle it. Don't let go. It's too much. Don't let go. You have a choice. God is waiting in the corner of that ring. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it'll be tomorrow or next week. But there's times where God says, all right, enough's enough. It's time to change. And I believe for every single one of us, God has something that he's working out of you right now. And it is a wrestling match. And you may walk with a limp the rest of your life because of it. But don't let go. Are you willing? Because God loves you. He loves you too much to let us try and work the system and send gifts or anger or whatever ahead of us. He says, nah, it's time to do something different. You and I are going to tangle. God wanted to accomplish great things with Jacob. He had the promises. He had the fulfillment. God said, man, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And God's looking at you saying the same thing. But you've got to fight. And you have to endure. And you have to persevere. And there's just no easy way to wrestle with God. I pray for each one of us, whatever it is you're going through, you make this one decision. I will not let go because God is coming after us. It's time to change. Let's stay focused. Let's persevere. Let's win the victory. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.